Hello, everyone. This is Rumble, and I'm Michael Moore. Boy, this has been a rough week. This virus, nobody's getting the message. I don't know what to say or do anymore. We've had four, five straight days in a row of over 2,000 deaths a day. Yesterday, the death total in just the United States was 2,857 in one day. Just to give you some perspective on that, in the entire 19, 19 years of our war in Afghanistan, more people died in the U.S. yesterday from the Trump virus than from all of our deaths in the entire 19-year Afghanistan war. I want everybody to just pause and think about this for just a minute. We we have we have something else I want to get into here on today's podcast, but how can we let this moment go by without if you count the last last day and a half, that's more than all the Americans who died in the Iraq war. If you count just yesterday, one hundred more people died yesterday than all the people who died on nine eleven at the World Trade Center. In one day, the Trump virus. Yeah, that's right. It's the Trump virus now. Most scientists and doctors were willing to give the first 10,000 dead, maybe, to the virus. This virus was doing what it did. But we've now learned that had we just employed the protocols that the people of South Korea employed, we would have somewhere around only 2,000 deaths entirely, the whole year. 2,000 American deaths. Had we just done what the Koreans did? Had we, had we, had we just done what the Australians did? We would have 11,000 dead right now instead of our total today is a fast approaching 300,000 dead. Yesterday, there were just new cases alone of COVID 19, 205,000 new cases in one day. You know, we have a chance to get rid of this. It just requires a few things. Every one of us wears a mask. Every one of us social distances. Every one of us tries to stay home as much as possible and stay just with the people that we're living with in the home. We don't go out. We don't go out. It's just a few more months of it, my friends. I know it sucks. It's the holidays. Just a few more months. And on top of that, Dr. Redliner, we've had here on our podcast, he said the other day, he said, you know, I'm I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. In other words, he's a huge pessimist. He is optimistic about these three vaccines that are now in their final phases. That's good news. It literally is possible we could all be vaccinated by the summer in June or July. And then it takes about a month or so for the vaccine to kick in. And then then we'll all still stay inside because we're going to be afraid that the vaccine isn't working. And then when we see that it does work by September, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have this licked if everyone is continuing to wear their masks and social distance and wash your hands. We're going to have a new leader. We're going to have a new program, a new plan. He offered to increase Dr. Fauci's uh, duties and his job. Today, he meaning uh, President-elect Biden. So we have to get to this as quick as possible. 
All right, everybody with me on this? Good news, right? Amongst the horrible and horrific news. It's up to us. It's up to our new president. But let's get to uh, the main topic of, of today's podcast. Well, before we do that, uh, just let me take a minute to thank today's underwriter, Gabby. You know, you've heard them uh, before here on my podcast. I'm, I'm so grateful to the companies and organizations that underwrite this podcast. Um, I just I can't thank you enough for this, helping to support my voice and to get this message, and these facts out to the American people and to the people around the world who are listening. Thank you. Gabby, so much for that. Um, if you don't know what Gabby is, um, well, you know, basically, <laughs> here's the pitch. A lot of you are more than likely overpaying for your car insurance or your homeowner's insurance or whatever, and you probably don't even know it. So here's the good deal about Gabby. They're there to help you when you're shopping for home or auto insurance. So that, you, you know, that horrible feeling, I'm just, I know I'm getting ripped off here. I'm no, I'm, I'm paying too much. I'm, they're making me pay for more things than I need. You know, the whole deal, right? Okay. So all you do is you link your current insurance account, go get your account number. You put it in and in minutes, you'll be able to see an apples to apples comparison of quotes that Gabby is looking for you from 40 of the top insurance providers. And you will know instantly if you're paying too much. You'll also know, you might find out, oh, wow, I got a good deal. Now you can relax a little bit because you have an independent arbiter here, Gabby, who has no skin in the game other than to save you money or to let you know, hey, you've done pretty good on your own. And they don't charge you for any of this. The average Gabby customer, they save $961 a year. Now, I know this because, you know, I, I've told you the story in the past, how the super of my apartment building here, he heard me on the podcast. He went and tried it. And I don't know, he saved something. I, what did he save? I forgot. It was over $1,000. So everybody, it's it's go to Gabby, G-A-B-I, Gabby.com slash Rumble and check it out. Gabby.com slash Rumble. And hopefully I've just uh, saved you a ton of money from these greedy bastards that we call <laughs> the insurance companies. Okay, so here we are now uh, on the subject at hand that I wanted to talk to you about today. It's it's a somewhat personal subject and uh, something happened in the last uh, 24 hours or so that really kind of um, whacked me over the head uh, pretty hard. And these days when I get that feeling, my first thought is to talk to you. So that's that's what I want to do right now. And now, our feature presentation. When I was a kid, I loved going to the movies. Oh, man, I went... When I was a kid, they, they changed the movies like twice a week. You know, there, were, there was the Friday, Saturday, Sunday movie, and then there was a Monday through Thursday film. And the movie theater was just up the block from where I lived, right around the, right around the corner on Flint Street, East Flint Street. It was called the Midway Theater. And I, I remember, especially on Thursdays, I, I couldn't wait to walking home from school and going up to the windows where they showed the, you know, the big movie posters of what was starting tomorrow. And of course, I was a little tight then. I, I, obviously, I, I couldn't go to everything, but my parents would take me, my mom would take me, my dad would take me. Um, I saw all the John Wayne movies uh, with my uh, dad. I saw PT-109 with Cliff Robertson playing John F. Kennedy. It's like 1960, 62 maybe. And uh, it was great. It was great. And they took us into Flint, in, in, into downtown Flint a lot, the, the Capitol Theater and the Palace Theater. 
saw a lot of movies uh, there, saw a lot of the big movies there. And, and if it was a really big movie, like, you know, uh, Battle of the Bulge or Sound of Music, uh, they drive us down to Detroit and we go to one of the big palaces there in downtown Detroit, uh, the Grand Circus on Grand Circus Park, uh, the Cinerama. Oh man, just such great memories of that. I loved the movies. And as soon as I had a driver's license at 16, I, I would, uh, I'd be down in Ann Arbor, Detroit as often as I could, sometimes two, two times a week even, to go to the different film societies, to go to the film theater at the Detroit Institute of Arts. And in these wonderful places, I saw all the great films, all the great directors, Kurosawa, Truffaut, Bergman, Fellini, all over the world. Such an eye-opener growing up. I think growing up anywhere in the Midwest, anything like that would be such a mind, a mindfuck of an eye-opener. And that's exactly what it was, and I loved it so much. You know, I only lasted one year in college, the commuter campus there in Flint for U of M. And um, me and Jeff Gibbs, we go, we took this class. It was, it was, uh, the professor just showed us all the great movies. And so we saw everything from M to Metropolis to Dr. Strangelove, Blow Up, the whole gamut from silent films all the way through the 30s and 40s, the British comedies of the 50s. Oh, man, blew our minds. And I don't know if I knew then that this is what I wanted to do, but I knew that it was a force for good. And over the years, I would just... I would realize that that movie I just saw, that just changed my thinking. I see things differently now. I, I, I began to believe that, that one movie, one movie could change your life. Later, when I was making them, I started to believe that one movie could change the world. Not everything in the world, but a little piece of the world. Expose people to what's going on. Show them a different way. Challenge the official story coming from the government or from corporate headquarters or wherever it was coming from and that film could do this. So now I've been a filmmaker for, well, 31 years. 31 from when the first film, Roger Me, came out 31 years ago. It's got its release in the theaters that month, this month. It was December. It was like December, right before Christmas, like December 23rd. It opened in New York and L.A. and Toronto. And um, my life was never the same after that experience. And I, of course, mean that for the absolute good. So blessed and so privileged and so lucky to be able to do this without having gone to film school, without, without only, only having that one year at Flint U of M um, in me. But, you know, when I decided to make my first movie, my friends are, how are you going to know how to do that? And I said, I don't know. I'll just... I'll get somebody to show me how to use the camera, you know. <laughs> I honestly, I believed inside. Whenever anybody asked me that, I just, I, did, I couldn't tell them what I was really thinking. But what I was thinking was, well, I think I can do this because I've seen a lot of movies. And I know what's good. And I know what isn't good. So I'll just go with that. I'll just go with that and I'll, I'll make these movies. It's crazy, I know, but but it worked. Fifteen years ago, I uh, living in the town in northern Michigan, where I was living, it's called Traverse City, 
and I um, decided to uh, start a film festival along with a bunch of people in town and we, we put together the first film festival in 2005 it only had like 30 films but uh, oh my god it was such an experience I got to program I got to show 30 films that I had found somewhere somewhere around the world somewhere in my travels whatever just 30 films and oh my god it was it was so cool someday on this podcast sometime I would love to replay that first film festival for you go over the films the 30 films maybe we'll we'll take a month I'll put the list up I don't know I'm, I'm gonna figure this out but I just want you to I want you to see that first Traverse City Film Festival they had a closed down movie theater a movie palace that was 100 years old and it was all just closed down and boarded up I thought this is wrong I said to the town we gotta open this up and it took me a couple of years to convince the people there. It was it, at that time was a fairly Republican town, not anymore. But then it was, you know, it was very conservative, and, and you know, it was me, right? I said, just um, this thing's going to need eight hundred thousand dollars. I don't know, a million dollars maybe to restore it. They torn the balcony out. They tore the screen down. The place was a wreck. But a, but but the Rotary Club in town had paid to make sure that the that the roof was not leaking and that the heat and air in the building during the year was such that there no mold presented itself so they kept it in really good shape in that way <laughs> i said let me create a nonprofit give the movie theater to the nonprofit for a dollar and i don't need any of your money i don't need any local tax money i don't need any i'm not going to do a big charity drive i'm just going to go to five people in town that have the money along with myself, to restore this theater. And that's what we did. And we took, we, in less than two months, we restored the whole thing to its 1940s Art Deco glory. And if you're ever in northern Michigan, if you ever want to go to what uh, the MPAA, Mission, Motion Picture Association of America, a few years ago called it the number one theater in the world in which to see a movie in Traverse City, Michigan. The Palais in Cannes was number four. It is that special. I, I don't. I, I don't want to brag about it, but but myself and the people of town, so all volunteers, none of us paid. All we put this all together just for the greater good of the community. So now, for these last, you know, what this would be, thirteen years, I've been a filmmaker, but also a, f a film exhibitor. I I run. A movie theater. I program the movie theater. That is until this past March when the pandemic shut all movie theaters down. So now we're in a real struggle to try and just keep the thing there alive um, until we can show movies again, until it's safe. Maybe sometime later in 2021. I don't know. We won't do it until it's absolutely safe. But I, um, I've got a good team. Again, all of us are volunteers, and we're doing our best to keep it going here. Just keep the theaters safe and protected, insured. And we were having a meeting yesterday because we're thinking of doing maybe opening a, like a virtual cinema where people will program it, and you can see the kinds of movies I would show in Traverse City. You can see them online. It's just something we're working on right now. But in the middle of this phone call, Zoom call, uh, my phone dings, and up pops a message that's uh, from the New York Times, one of their alerts, and it says that 
Warner Brothers has decided to put their entire 2021 slate of films, all 17 movies, um, on, on, on st- for streaming, up for streaming. They'll put, still put in whatever theaters might be open, not that many, but, uh, but it will be streamed. And at, th- at first I thought, oh, wow, well, maybe we could make this part of our streaming thing. But of course, eh, what am I thinking? You know, there, this is all about the do re me. And of course, they made it very clear that they'd only be streaming it on HBO Max. <laughs> yeah, I know. What's HBO Max? It's, it's like months since this thing started. And I still haven't figured it out. I thought because I had HBO, that meant, well, then now I have HBO Max because there's also HBO Go and HBO. What's the other? It's just so confusing. But no, HBO Max, they, um, let's just back up a little bit. AT&T now owns HBO. Okay. The phone company. AT&T owns HBO and they own Warner Brothers and they own CNN and they own all the Turner uh, networks like TNT, TBS, etc. Brother. And the phone company, AT&T, has decided, geez, we've got all these movies that we've been making here for Warner Brothers. Let's just put them on our streaming service and let's make it because they want to make that streaming service their Netflix. And as it turns out, I, I don't have HBO Max just because I got HBO. I got to pay another $15 to get HBO Max. In addition to whatever, I don't even know what I'm paying now for HBO. You know, some, some years it seems like it's 10 bucks. Other years it's 20. I don't know. I guess you get it in the package. I used to get it with Cinemax and then that disappeared. But <laughs> as you've learned already, because they've got you streaming now all over the place, Hulu, Disney, there's Prime and Netflix, but there's also now, there's like these really good shows that CBS is doing, but they put them on, on CBS All Access, and you you get that for 6 or $12 a month, depending on if we want to watch the commercials. NBC has Peacock. You know, it's, it's half free, mostly free, but then there's the premium part. They get you to pay for that. They've got us paying all that money each month for cable to begin with, right? And now they want us to pay for the premium stuff, not just the Disney Channel, but Disney Plus, and you're going to pay more for that. And once you pay more for Disney Plus, when something like the movie Mulan comes on, they want you to pay more for that. So you're paying for Disney Plus, and then <laughs> you're you're paying the extra for some of these movies. Somebody figured it out where between what they pay for cable and Disney Plus and the special premium price for Mulan, they paid like $40 to see that movie. Now, you got Netflix, which is like $12.99 um, a month, and <laughs> and it keeps going up. And they, all these keep going up. Or Amazon Prime, which is you know a little under $120 a year. You get all your free shipping whenever you use that. And as a bonus, you get to watch all their actually quite good movies and TV series that uh, Prime has. But, you know, and that's a lot of money. It's hundred and almost 120 a year, but, you know, the cost of a stamp now is know, 55 cents. So uh, let's call that, it's like buying 60 stamps a year. <laughs> For the cost of 60 first-class postage stamps a year, you can have Amazon Prime. And so you, you kind of rationalize it like that. And it goes, wow, I'm, I'm able to ship things that cost more than 55 cents to ship. And I get to watch it for free. Uh, so, you know, but look, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not telling you any of this stuff. I'm just telling you, you already know this because how many streaming services I, just before I started the podcast here tonight, I had the TV on the nightly news and one of the commercials 
was the new streaming service that's starting in January, Discovery Plus. The you know the various Discovery channels plus. <laughs> Why would I pay extra money to watch Alaskan fishing guys or or Naked and Afraid or whatever? I'm probably these aren't even Discovery, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like really you you want more money from me. And you can see what they're doing. Every single channel is going to have their premium channel to make what? More money. And this $15 a month for HBO Max, it, it's completely underperformed. They haven't raised the money that they thought they'd raise. They don't have the number of subscribers they thought they'd have by now. And, and so now they're, they're going to go, they're going to drop back and, and reboot. You can see this happening already because now that they've got Warner Brothers films, first run films, you're going to be able to watch on HBO Max. <laughs> you know, they're probably just going to call it Max and they'll start at the $15 they're at now, but you know the scam with this, don't you? In a couple of years, it'll be 17, then it'll be 20, then 30. 10 years from now, I'll make a prediction right now. Uh, HBO Max or Max uh, will be like $49. You'll get hooked on it because they own certain franchises you're going to want to watch. And it's going to be the only way you're going to be able to watch them because the whole point of this essentially is to put movie theaters out of business. And when I read that yesterday, that was exactly what I thought. This is like, well, they, there goes the, there goes the theater chains. There goes the multiplexes. They think they've got people hooked on watching movies at home now, which a lot of us, of course, have done. A lot of people have, have bought um, HBO and they bought Netflix and these other streamers during this time. And boy, we've all seen some good movies and some great shows and episodic television and documentaries and all that. And, and that's exactly where they want us. So that when we get through the pandemic, we won't be going back to the movie theater. Now I know that that's not going to happen. I know that people are going to want to go to the movies there. I mean, yes, there'll be less, but, you're still going to want the experience of being in a movie theater, of being with other people. I do. Do you want to watch Dune on your phone? And when you stop and think about it, I said, with the phone. Oh, yeah, the phone company owns this now. AT&T, of course they want you watching it on their device. Not just for the extra money they can get out of you, but for all the data that they can collect on you so they can pump more stuff your way to get you to buy it. A lot of people today were talking about, is this the end of the movie theater? Is this the end of the movies? I mean, it can't be the end of the movies because they need that. But this is the way it's going. And I think a lot of them don't want to come back out of the pandemic and have us go back to the way we were living. On some levels, that's a good thing. Because, you know, how many crappy crap movies have you gone to the theater to watch and lost all that money uh, to watch something that isn't that great? But do you want to lose the experience of sitting in a movie house in the dark with a couple hundred other people? Isn't that the way you want to watch a comedy with all that laughter around you? Isn't that the way you want to watch a horror movie, a thriller? The whole audience just gasps and is in shock. And you know you're at a movie. You know it's not real, but it's done so well. Our filmmakers who make these movies are so good at it. Don't you want to get out of the house? Don't we need some place to go on a date? 
whether it's, you know, you're married, <laughs> a date with your spouse, you're not married, a date, somebody just to get to, just to go do something, something, anything right now. What a depressing thing to hear yesterday about that. Hmm. But not my theaters, you see, because we don't show the big blockbuster things. We don't show the big Warner Brothers things. And and I guess, you know, what's so what's so hard for me about this is that Warner Brothers, that was the studio that bought my first film, Roger and Me. They distributed that film. Nobody knew who I was. I'd never made anything before. They did such an incredible job. They get they gave me the uh, the publicist there at Warner Brothers, who was Stanley Kubrick's publicist for many, many, many years. And uh, he made sure people saw the movie. And they, they put it on 1,300 screens. It never had happened to a documentary before. It instantly became the number one grossing documentary of all time. And they were, it was, uh, it was an amazing, an amazing moment. And it kicked the doors open for other documentary filmmakers and other documentaries to be seen be able to to have their work in a in a regular movie theater. So I love Warner Brothers. I mean, you know, they were the socially conscious studio all through the 30s and the 40s, the 50s. Um, they they made the kinds of films that the other studios were afraid to make that dealt with controversial subjects of the day, dealt with issues of race and and income inequality and all this. So I was very honored to that they distributed my film and I'm saddened by by this move you know look maybe it'll be okay I'm sure a lot of you listening to this are thinking oh wow I'm gonna get to watch King Kong versus Godzilla um, at home I wanted to go to the movie theater that's one of their films coming up this year you're gonna be able to watch uh, the Matrix 4 at home right away uh, God the first Matrix is one of the greatest films ever made Matrix Four. Hey, who knows? I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to make it. I'm going to pass judgment on it. But I have to tell you something. This decision and the decisions that are getting made right now about the movies, about how they're to be shown to the public, they've left out. They've left out seeking the guidance and the advice of one very special group of people. Me. <laughs> Me and thousands of other filmmakers, people that actually bring you these movies. You'd think they might ask us, how would we like our art presented to the public? If you're any other kind of artist, uh, you you have a big say in how your art's presented, whether you're a painter and having an exhibition in the in the in the museum, you're there. You're you're lighting it. You're framing it. You're doing all that. If you're in a rock band, you know the, the, every every night of your tour, there's a there's a there's a, there's a, a sound check at four in the afternoon to make sure everything is tuned right, sounds right, is being mixed right, so the audience has the best possible experience. And you, the band, you have a say. You have the say. In all of that. But for filmmakers, for some reason, we've never had any say. We finish the film, we give it to the studio, they take it from there. And we have no say of how these theaters look, how the how the speakers are, how the projection works, uh, if things are in focus, if the mixing is right, 
if people could see the screen, is the rake of the floor correct? All those things that we would care about as filmmakers, we've never had a say in any of it. The theater chain just throws it up on the screen in any way that they see fit, and some of them are better than others. But now, this. No consultation with us. Let me just ask the phone company this, AT&T, or any of the other studios, Disney, anybody. Um, how are you going to make your money if we don't provide the art? How are you going to become filthy, filthy rich without us? Because if, see, here, here's how it works. Um, I guess you can get anybody now, you know, you can make a movie on your iPhone. So I get, you could do that. You could, you could, uh, get a lot of people to work cheap for you, put things up. But eventually the public, you know, the public likes a good movie. And you know what they really like? They like a good story. And, and those of us who are filmmakers, there's a lot of things we can't do very well. And there's one gift that we've been given for a long time, probably before we were filmmakers, um, we knew how to tell a good story in study hall, in the lunchroom. We knew how to get people laughing. <laughs> we knew how to scare the shit out of everybody sitting at the table. We've, we've always been that way since we were kids. We're storytellers. And that's why people want to come to the theater. It's why they want to give up their evening on the on the living room sofa to watch a great story, a funny story, a sad story, a scary story, a political story, something that'll upset you, or something that will spark just the right amount of anger in you to where you're going to get up and do something. That's what we do. We provide that. We provide that for the public. And if we chose not to participate in this bastardization of our art form, let me say this. If you're going to watch Dune on your phone, you haven't seen Dune. You'll say at the end that you've seen the new movie, Dune, the new, the new version of Dune. You haven't seen it. You, you watched some facsimile of it on your phone. Just like when the post office, just to go back to my postage stamp collection here, the the post office had the, the years and years ago put out the Mona Lisa stamp you know, to honor whatever hundred, two hundred, five hundredth anniversary of Mona Lisa. And let me tell you something: it was the Mona Lisa stamp, but it wasn't the Mona Lisa. If you were looking at that stamp and saying to yourself, "Oh, the Mona Lisa, that's what looks some," you weren't looking at the Mona Lisa. You were looking at a stamp that represented the Mona Lisa. And if you're watching, if you're watching a movie, I mean, a movie that's a real great movie, a work of art, on your phone, you're not watching the movie. I don't know what to call it. Nobody's invented the name for it, but it's not a movie even though it actually is the exact movie that used to be on movie screens. It's not a movie on your phone. And I would go so far as to say that the same thing on your laptop, on your computer. And I know the desktop screens now are really large. Even your television screen, you need to understand that we as directors, we as filmmakers, we make this for it to be seen on a 50-foot screen. That's two or three, four stories high with incredible sound, as if you were there. That's all the time and effort 
that we put into filming and mixing and making sure the color is exactly right. You don't see all the stuff we do to make this, this work of art. But, and I'm not, when I say work of art, I'm not being pretentious about this. I'm not being precious. I'm just saying that we're trying to tell you a story and we want it to have an impact on you, a certain impact as you sit there together with other people watching that movie and feeling the same thing others are feeling. When there's that collective sense of you're sitting there and you're just, you're so upset at the injustice that you're watching. You're, you're so moved by, by the story that's being told or you're falling out of your chair laughing while you watch Borat take a dump in front of the Trump International Hotel. I mean, whatever the movie is and whatever it does for you, the fact that you're, that you're experiencing it with other people enhances it. You know this already. You know when you're watching a comedy at home and you're the only one there laughing, it feels weird. But if you had 10 people there or 100 people all laughing so loud you don't hear the next line, that's what we're going for. But that can only happen collectively together. And I don't think that's ever going to stop. I don't think the movies aren't going to die just like books aren't going to die. Gutenberg invented the printing press back in the 1400s and, and, and they started printing books. They started with the Bible and then they started printing some other things and got in a lot of trouble for it. The authorities didn't want all that printed material around, especially then they're going to have to teach people how to read because people now suddenly wanted to learn how to read. And once people educated themselves, well, boy, this shit kind of hit the fan after that in one society after another. But that's what, that's what the printing press did. And whatever the next thing that came along, it didn't kill people reading. People just didn't stop reading when radio came along in 1920. Uh, you know, it's just another way for information to be brought into people's homes or good storytelling into people's homes. But people didn't go, oh, oh, I don't need to read books anymore. I'm going to listen to the radio. No. And they thought the movies would kill radio. And yes, of course, maybe it changed radio, but it didn't kill. You still have a radio in your home, in your car. And now you have podcasts, which is the 21st century version of the radio using sound, using audio. People say to me, Mike, why don't you, why don't you videotape these things, your, your podcast? And uh, I think, well, maybe, I don't know, someday, maybe I will, yeah. But, you know, I love, I love, I love audio. I love you there listening to me right now, absorbing my voice and taking the time to let what I'm saying pass through your brain for you to imagine what it is I'm talking about what it is that could be done, what it is that you could do, any of a number of things that happen when you're not distracted by the picture, just the sound of my voice. You know what I'm talking about. That's why podcasts are so popular right now. In a way, radio never went away. None of these kill any of the other thing before it that was part of the, the art of storytelling. And the storytelling will continue and the movies will continue. Maybe we'll make better. Maybe there'll be better movies. Maybe when the when the money isn't controlling it so much in terms of the actual production, or you've got to have two hundred million dollars to make this movie, which sounds insane. My friends, some of the best movies that have been made have been made for a million bucks or less. I could give you a whole list of them. It, it's not that we're going to continue to make movies, and the movies will be seen. If we have to start over, if we have to go underground, if we have to do it 
silently, quietly. And the movie theaters are going to be there too because people are going to want to get together. The same way, you know, restaurants didn't kill your kitchen. (laughs) You didn't stop making dinner because suddenly restaurants are open. People want to get out of the house. They want to go eat a meal. Yes, they want to eat it in a place with a hundred other strangers, people they don't even know. They're going to chew food in front of totally unknown people because they want to get out. And the movies are still, still the, the least expensive way to get out of the house and have an evening. Even going to the restaurant now, if you have a dinner for two and, with, and if there's alcohol involved, how much is that these days? I mean, even if you went just to a burger joint for two people, you're going you're gonna to spend 30 or $40 at dessert, all that stuff, right? But, but at the movies, in most parts of the country, it's still $8, $9, In my theater, you know, I keep the prices low. I make the, you can get a $2 popcorn and a $2 soda in my theaters in Michigan. I don't believe in, in ripping people off with the popcorn and the pop. So I don't understand. As a filmmaker, I really don't understand. Well, I, I hear what theater owners say. Well, we make our money on the popcorn. That's the standard thing, which is an insult to all filmmakers because, well, you should be making your money because we made a great movie and you should be getting people in there to watch it. That's your job as the exhibitor. So so we'll, we'll create our own theaters. I, I created two. Two dead theaters brought them back to life. One was one one of my theaters is an old hundred now one hundred and four year old theater in Traverse City, and the other was a, a WPA project. The FDR sent some money to Traverse City to build this building, and I've turned it into a movie theater. And I've helped four or five other theaters in Michigan restore their old, dilapidated, dead theaters and bring them back to life. So if it's just if it's just me and and my two and the other five of the seven of us in Michigan, well, there'll be seven great places to go see a great, great friggin' movie. And I think all of us will do this. People will do this all over the country. They're already doing it. There's this group called the Art House Convergence, a few hundred theaters around the country. We'll keep the movies going. We'll keep the stories going. Just because the phone company wants to suck another $15 out of your pocket every month, and it'll be $49 in 10 years. I, prom- I promise you that. You already know that. You've already seen how these different services have charged more and more and more money. So you're going to hear a lot now about the movies are dead, the theaters are dead, this is all dead. I'm not dead. <sighs> Tarantino's not dead, last time I checked. Paul Thomas Anderson isn't dead. Alexander Payne isn't dead. None of us are dead. Sophia Coppola, none of us are dead. We're all alive and we all have a lot more stories to tell and a lot more joy or sadness or laughter to bring to you. And we're going to keep doing that. And no phone company, no Mickey Mouse is going to tell us what to do or stop us from bringing it to you. I'd like to hear what you think about this. Send me an email at mike at michaelmoore.com um, or go to here on the podcast site where it says click here to leave me a voice message. I listen to them. I read the mail. I'd like to hear what you think about this. And, um, and I will come back to this issue sometime here in the next uh, a month or two. 
because uh, I want to keep this discussion going now. While the theaters are shut down, while we're in this pandemic, haven't we all spent time trying to imagine the post-pandemic world, what it's going to look like, what we'd like it to be like? This is a piece of it. Who wants to get out of the house? Who wants to go see a great movie? We're going to have that. But maybe it's time that we controlled it. We, the filmmakers, you, the audience. Nonprofits across the country that start up their own cinema. And we, the filmmakers, band together and figure out a way to help you do that so that you're not left out of this. It's not just something for the big cities. But it's something that you can have in the Flints and the East St. Louis's and the Gary Indiana's, the Erie Pennsylvania's of this country. So I'm excited about it. I'm putting a lot of thought into it. I'm working on some things with my own theaters right now to be ready when they reopen. I've got the support of so many local people. You know, Traverse City is only a town of 15,000 year round residents. And yet, and yet they have stood by us and supported this theater and the film festival every summer. I'll tell you more about that sometime too, because when we're back open, I want you to come visit me uh, in Traverse City. Come to the film festival. It's unlike anything. It's a great way to spend, you know, five days in the, in the, at the end of July. Um, but I'll tell you more about that later. And we'll talk more about it because I want to, I'm going to bring on some other filmmakers here in the coming weeks and months. And, and we're going to keep talking about this because we're, we'll be damned if we're going to allow the people that take our art and make billions off it and then fuck over the, the American public, the worldwide public, the audience with their greed. Not going to happen, folks. Not saying they're not going to try, but I'm willing to have this fight. We have a thing we put up on our marquee in Traverse City on the State Theater. Two th- our two theaters are called the State Theater and the Bijou by the Bay. Sits right on Lake Michigan. And we put a thing every now and then up on the marquee and it says, Cinema saves the world. Because that's what we believe. We believe in it so strongly that this incredible art form can make a difference, has made a difference, and must continue to make a difference. So don't despair and don't watch Dune on your phone. I'm Michael Moore. This is Rumble. My thanks to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor, Nick Quaz, and all the people who have made these movies with me over the last 30 plus years. It's been a wonderful experience and we love doing it and we're going to keep doing it. Thanks everybody. Um, have a good weekend. Be well. And I'll talk to you very soon. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.